Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Jesus is hungry for fruit. That is the headline today. Jesus is hungry for fruit. Again, we're in Mark chapter 11. Now, I want to talk about how when Jesus rebukes this fig tree, you've heard the story. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. On the following day, when they came to Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. Everybody say in leaf. So it's a fig tree and it's in leaf. So it's got leaves on it, right? Springtime, it's time to start producing a little bit, and it's got leaves. And he went to see if he could find anything on it. Say anything. Anything. So he's looking for anything on the victory because why? He's hungry. And so when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, that's Jesus starts talking to this tree. We're starting to question his sanity a little bit. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, Jesus knows the seasons. I mean, he's a smart guy. He's been around on the earth for 30 years, and he's been in existence for like billions of years, right? Even before there were such things as billions, Jesus actually created fig trees. And he knows how fig trees work. He, he understands seasons. He understands how this works. And he also understands that it's not the season for figs, yet he curses the fig tree for not producing figs. I think he's like, what? Right? Like, what is happening? Like, what is happening here? What is happening with this fig tree, right? And the disciples, that's what they're thinking. I mean, the disciples hear it and they're tripping. They're like, Jesus, why are you cursing the fig tree? You know, Lord, you know, you know it's not the season. You know that you shouldn't even be looking for figs on that tree. So why is Jesus frustrated? Well, Jesus is frustrated because he's hungry. He's hungry for fruit. And there's no fruit on the tree. It had nothing but leaves. You know, I, I feel like that there's a lot of people that have nothing but leaves. Come on. There's a whole lot of fluff. There's a whole lot of talk about it. There's a whole lot of expression, but there's not much fruit. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Can't you see me from a distance? But whenever you get a little closer, you realize that they are fruitless trees. Nothing but leaves. Now, unless you question Jesus' sanity, there's actually something that, that would happen on these trees on these fig trees before a fig ever came. It was kind of a forerunner fruit before a fig, and it was called a tequash. Everybody say tequash. I'm probably saying it wrong, so if you know the, you can correct me after service. Tequash, and what tequash was is it was a fruit that, that preceded a fig. It would just be a little green nub on there, and peasants and other people would come along and eat these. They were a little bit bitter. They didn't taste very good. They definitely didn't taste as good as figs, and figs don't even taste that great. And so, but, but, but they were something that, that people could eat. It would add a little substance. It would, it would kind of hold you over. And so what Jesus was looking for was this tequash. He was looking for something that said, you know what? I don't have fruit, but one day I will. And so you knew that a fig tree was, was not going to produce that season if it didn't have any tequash on it. And so Jesus wasn't really looking for full-blown figs. He knew it was the season. 
for not for figs, but he knew that there should be something there. So what's frustrating Jesus is that there's no potential for fruit. That's what frustrates him. Not that there's not fruit, because he knew it wasn't the season for, for that type of fruit. But how many of you know that certain fruits grow in certain seasons? And we know this in our life, right? Some seasons are just more ripe, right? Some seasons it's easy to have joy. Some seasons it's easy to have peace. Right now it's not one of those seasons. However, we don't live from season to season. We live from glory to glory. And so the Lord is requiring fruit from us. He's hungry for the fruit to show up in our life. And so many just have leaves, but no fruit. So the frustration is potential. Now, I want to encourage you in this, because some of you are saying, oh man, that, that, like beat down, right? I don't have any fruit in my life. I should, I should have more of the joy of the Lord right now. I should have more peace right now. Understanding that, listen, is there some fruit there? Come on, it might not, you might not right now in this season, you might not be producing peace. But are you producing joy? Are you producing patience? Because even though it might not be ripe for that season, the Lord still is requiring some fruit, even if it's immature. Right? So it doesn't necessarily have to full, be full-blown, perfected figs. Come on, it could just be tequash. It could just be something. Lord, Lord, there is something in my life that produces. I am well-connected, and I am producing. Now check this out in Jeremiah, because we understand that seasons change, but we don't live by seasons. And there's some seasons where it's just difficult. Come on, it's difficult. Right now is one of those seasons. It's difficult to bear fruit. But let me remind you, you are a fig tree. You produce figs, right? You are a joy tree. You produce, you are a tree of the Lord. You produce the fruit of the Spirit, right? Even if it's immature right now, you have some of it. And you have more of it than your unbelieving neighbor. Right? Okay, so Jeremiah 17, verse 7 said, Blessed bless are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Come on, how many of y'all, that's you? You've made the Lord your hope. You've made him your confidence. This says you're blessed. It says this, that they are like trees planted along the riverbank, whose roots that reach down deep into the water, such trees are not bothered by heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Why? Because they're connected to the life source. They're connected to the river. And some of you aren't producing fruit in your life right now because you're just disconnected. Because you haven't grown your roots deep. You haven't put your confidence. You haven't put your hope in the Lord. Maybe you put your, your hope or your confidence in an election. Come on. Maybe you put your hope in, or your confidence in the government to deal with a virus. I mean, I don't know how we even get there. Why are, we, why are we wanting to trust everyone else for our health and our well-being? Beloved, society and culture is, is, is not your provider. It will not provide for you peace. Listen, government does not provide for us peace. It does not provide joy. It does not pro provide health. Those things for the believers, we get it from the river. And so we've got to be trusting in the river if we're going to produce fruit. So our fruit is not dependent upon our season, but our depth. But our depth. How deep are you? That right now is showing. Come on, 2020, this whole year. It's not just a season. It's like four seasons. Right? It's showing. What kind of tree are you? What kind of tree are you? Man, because I'm finding out a, a lot about a lot of people right now. 
I'm finding a lot of people have a lot more trust in political systems, come on, and government mandates than they trust God, than they trust Jesus. I'm seeing people be a lot more vocal about their opinions, about society, and about culture, and about government. I see a lot more about that than about Jesus. It's like they're waving this big flag of culture and who, what side I'm on. And this is, this is what, no, no, no. You should be waving the flag of Jesus. You should be waving. Listen, he is your anthem. And the great thing about Jesus, when he is your anthem, he supersedes every season. He's, he's the king of all kings. He rules over it all. So when you're rooted in that, when you're rooted in that depth, the seasons don't change your fruit. You can still remain fruitful because you're well-rooted. So we see Jesus rebukes this fruitless tree. And we're all called to this fruit-filled life. And we're not called to a fruitful season. All right. Second is this. So Jesus rebukes this tree, right? He's hungry for, for, for fruit. So he rebukes this fruitless tree. And then the second thing that we see here in, in Mark chapter 11 is that Jesus cleanses a fruitless tree temple. Mark chapter 11, verse 15, it says, when they came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, it is, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. What are you doing with my house? What are you doing with my father's house? This is supposed to be a place of prayer, not a place of profit. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. To destroy him. For they feared him. Because all the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Now listen, some people like to ignore this passage. Like this this isn't very, this isn't very, very appropriate. Can we just take the whole chapter of Mark out of our Bible? I mean, Jesus is like rebuking fig trees right here. Jesus is, you know, throwing people out. So some people just kind of like to ignore that. Other people, this is their favorite passage, right? This is, a, oh yeah, well, don't forget. Let me just remind you, Jesus drove out, right? And, and we understand that, that, that Jesus does do this. And we've, we've got to embrace both responses from Jesus. Come on. Because sometimes he does want to cleanse the temple. Other times he wants to cleanse the leper, right? But he's, the, the point is, is Jesus brings change. Whatever needs to be corrected, he corrects it. And sometimes we think Jesus just affirms. He's always in affirm mode. No, no, no. He is also in correction mode. And we see this in Mark chapter 11. And, and I want to encourage you in this. When you read this passage, when you look at this, don't confuse the temple with the church. Because we oh man, Jesus shows up at church and he's mad about it. I would suggest this. Jesus is really happy about his church. Not because the church is perfect, but because the church is his. And he's cleansing. In fact, it says that in Ephesians. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to be, to be spotless, to be without wrinkles. So Jesus, listen, is in love with the church. The church isn't perfect. But if you're going to love Jesus, then you need to learn to love what he loves. And Jesus loves the church. In fact, the reason why the temple, the temple isn't the church, you're the, you're, you're the temple. Many temples make the church. We are the temple. And so also don't confuse this with, with Jesus getting mad because they were selling stuff in the lobby. 
<laughs> you think, I think that's fine. They selling stuff in the lobby. Jesus, they made her to dinner robbers. You made her to shopping district. No, listen, you've got to understand something about this text. First of all, the purpose, of, the point of this text is that the purpose of the temple was set up to be a place to meet with God, is to be a place to pray. And these people had turned it in to be a marketplace. They were using it for profit. They had exchanged the purpose from prayer to profit. So prayer had been replaced with profit. So what was happening is people would show up to pray. People would show up to worship God. And whenever they showed up to worship God, they would bring a sacrifice, right? This is back in the sacrificial system. People would actually, like, bring it an animal. And sacrifice sounds crazy. They would bring it and sacrifice it to the Lord, right? Something that was costly. Come on. Is your worship costly? And they would show up to the temple. But what, what had happened is the authorities of the temple started saying, well, in this temple, you can only offer certain sacrifices, particular sacrifices. And they must be gotten from a particular source. So a particular sacrifice from a particular source. Okay, where do I need to get it? Well, hold on. Before you go buy it, you have to pay with a particular currency. And so what they had is they had these booths set up in the temple where people would go in to worship God and they say, okay, I want to take, I want to buy those doves right there. And they pull out their money and they go, well, you actually can't buy it with your money. You got to buy it with this money. So go over here to this guy and exchange your money. Do you guys see the corruption? And whenever they exchanged the money, they were charging them like 10 to 12%, which kind of sounds like a tithe. Mm, robbing from God. So they show up exchange their money, buy these sacrifices. Now they have something to offer God. So this is the corruption that it set in. And so when Jesus shows up there, they're changing money. They're selling stuff. They're fattening their pockets. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? This is a place for people to come and meet with my father. You've made it a place of profit. My, what you've turned it into is a den of thieves. You're robbing these people. And this is supposed to be a house of prayer. What are you doing? It's not just supposed to be a house of prayer for the Jews, but for all nations. And you're coming in and you're saying you can only worship this particular way with this particular currency. And so Jesus comes in to reestablish purpose. Let's get out of here. Let's get you guys out of here. Now, one text says that Jesus actually makes a whip. Now, he's turning over tables. Jesus is throwing down. I mean, shady Jesus. He forgot to read the newspaper, what it said about him. Right? He forgot, to, he forgot to check with all the progressive Christians to make sure he was acting right. No, Jesus is full on God, full on, full of love, transforming things back to its original purpose. In fact, he is reestablishing purpose in this moment. The point of this whole story is Jesus reestablishing purpose. So he's frustrated that the fig tree wasn't producing its purpose. Now he's frustrated that the temple isn't fulfilling its purpose. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Are you fulfilling God's intention for you? It's, it's critical. It's, it's important. And, and how many of you know that if you're part of this temple that God created, then your purpose is to be a place of prayer? Come on. We've made our lives, most of us, we don't revolve our lives around prayer. We try to fit prayer into our life. So we don't ever pray, right? I just, you know, I just kind of pray. 
we had um, this woman in our church when I, when I came to the Lord. Her name was Dale Talley. And Dale was, was kind of a big gun in regard to prayer. I mean, it was like, if you wanted someone praying for you, you wanted Dale Talley praying for you. And the reason why you would ask Dale to pray is because you knew she would actually pray. Right? How many know that, like, when people post it on Facebook, they're probably not going to pray for you. Pray for me. Pray for your boy. Oh, like, I'll be praying for you, which means I just kind of thought about you in a fond way, which isn't prayer. And so there was a period of time in my life in the early 2000s where I was living in El Paso, and I went to Odessa, and I told my dad, I said, I want Del Talley to, to put me on her prayer list. I want her to start praying for me. I was like, I want to get out the big guns. And Del was kind of like, with, without putting her down, I, I want to say this in the most glorifying way. She was, she's kind of like the prayer Yoda, right? I mean, she's, she, she knows how to pray. And so we're over at her house, and I was like, I was like, listen, Dale, I said, I would love for you to start praying for me. Would you just add me to your list? Like, because I know that you'll pray. I know that you're connected with the Lord. And she said, well, I will. And I was like, oh, yes. And she said, you know what? And this got me, man. She said, I pray all the time. I pray when I'm doing the laundry. I pray when I'm doing the dishes. I pray when I'm ironing clothes. I pray all the time. I pray all day. She said, but the Lord told me. He said, I want you to stop praying on your feet. And I want you to start praying on your knees. Basically, she was saying, man, she prays all the time. But the Lord is saying, I want more than you just adding me in to what you're doing. I want you to get away from all that. And this is a woman that has a devoted prayer life. And she's saying, I need to pray more. And I remember the conviction just sitting there in her humble little home that overwhelmed me. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm doing pretty good if I drive on the way to work. And here's this woman saying, I pray all the time but I still need to find a place of prayer. So Jesus, and this is emphasizing purpose. He's emphasizing priority. He's emphasizing prayer because prayer is our purpose. Are, have you become a house of prayer? Because it's easy to look at that and say, Jesus is mad at the church because they're selling stuff. No, 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 no. Jesus is mad at the church because they forgot what they were there for. They forgot that it was there to be established as a place of prayer. So, we see this. Jesus rebu rebukes a fruitless tree. Jesus cleanses a fruitless temple. And then Jesus teaches on fruitful prayer. Mark chapter 11, just continuing with the story. And it says, as when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away by its roots. And Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look. The fig, fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, get this, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and be thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes in what he says, will come to pass, and it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. How much? Whatever. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe it, and it will be given to you. You will receive it. It will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So Jesus 
teaches us on fruitful prayer. We're going to tie all this together. How do we pray fruitfully? How many of y'all prayed tons, thousands of, of unfruitful prayers? Now, I would suggest this to you, that if you prayed, it wasn't unfruitful. But you didn't get the answer that you were praying for. Come on. I mean, there's things that I'm praying for right now that I've been praying for for years. Right? But I'm still praying. And if I'm praying, that's good. If you're praying, you're succeeding, by the way, because you're connecting with the Lord. If you're praying, you're succeeding. You do, don't, don't, listen, don't judge the success of your prayer by the answers, but by the time that you put in praying, because none of that's wasted. No time's wasted in prayer. And some of us feel like, because our prayers didn't get answered, that maybe we wasted them, that we wasted some words. So Jesus says this. You want to have answered prayer? Because this is what he's talking about. You want to have fruitful prayers? What do you do? You have faith in God. Have faith in God. Most of the time when we pray, we're not having faith in God. Most of the time when I pray, if I'm being honest, I have faith in me. How powerful are my prayers going to be? Or I go to somebody else thinking they can pray. God, they have like a better line to heaven than I do. They're like a Dale Talley. I don't have faith in Dale Talley. Come on, she went on to her reward, but I never really put faith in her. I put faith in God. I, I, I probably did at that time. I probably did put faith in her. But really, if I would put my faith in God, my prayers would be more fruitful. See, you don't need mountain-sized faith. We think we, we, think we need mountain-sized faith for seed-sized problems, Right? I mean, some of us just need to step back. I'm not saying your problems aren't real, but, but you know how, like, when you were, like, 17, your problems were, like, real. I'm not making light of those, but they were huge. And now you're, like, 35, and you're looking back at 17-year-old you, and you're going, <laughs> wow, that would have known, right? Now, don't be critical, because when you were 17, remember, it was a big deal. But understand that you couldn't, you couldn't move seed-sized problems. But Jesus is saying this, listen, you can move mountain-sized problems with seed-side faith. See, faith moves mountain-sized problems with seed-sized prayers. So if you just have faith, your prayer doesn't have to be big. You don't have to have all the right words. You just need to have faith in God. You just need to have faith in God. You don't have to have all the right words. You don't have to pray in tongues. You don't have to do any of that. You just got to have faith in God. Do you believe? It's really that simple. It's also that complicated. <laughs> right? So the faith is in God. We are connected to God when we're connected. Listen, when he's connected, when you're just like those roots into the river, you're connected, right? You understand that he is the source of your fruitfulness, the fruitfulness of your life, your character, but also the fruitfulness of your prayer. Listen, did you know that when you're connected, that you're going to pray according to his will? It's just what's going to happen. And Jesus adds that caveat in other, other places of scripture, if you ask anything according to his will. But, but you don't have to sit around and just go, oh, 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 trouble, trouble, trouble with the will of God. You should always consider the will of God, always. James teaches us that. But listen, we're, we're not troubled by it. 
I don't know if I want to pray that because it's not the will of God. Listen, you stay connected, you're going to know what the will of God is. You won't have to run around questioning. So if you want to be fruitful with character or in your prayers, then stay connected. Then you're praying what he wants you to pray. He's going to ask me for this. I want to give it to you. And you know what to pray. Why? Because you're connected. Check this out. John 15. This is, this is like a core verse for overflow. John 15. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a tree cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, if it's disconnected, if it's not planted by the river. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Staying connected. Remaining. That word remain and some, some translations is the word abide, but the Greek word is the word meno, which means to live there. It means to make your dwelling. M-E-N-O. Meno. I live there. Where do you live? I live in the presence of God. I'm connected to the presence of God. I'm living in fellowship. Listen, in fellowship with Jesus. It's the Dale Talley thing. I pray when I'm doing the laundry. I pray when I'm folding the clothes. I pray when I go to the grocery store. I'm connected, but there's also those times where I'm more connected, where I get on my knees and off my feet. So it's, it's the remaining. It's the dwelling. It's the abiding. He says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, me knowing me, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, <laughs> we love this, you can do nothing. Now, I know you think that you don't have time to pray, But apart from him, you can do nothing. Listen, everything that you do on your own, no matter how smart, no matter how wise, all of that, it doesn't matter. Jesus says it's ineffective. You can do nothing apart from him. But that's not true. I've made lots of money. But in his eyes, it's nothing. And for me, I'm living according to his yes. I'm living living according to his want. So I want the Lord to look at my life and go, you did something. I don't care if the world celebrates what I did. I want him to celebrate it because it's what he designed me to do. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Granted. Do you see this? If you're connected, now you're Asking and your prayers are being answered. Why? Because you have faith in God. Your faith is rooted in God. You have a life in God. We live by faith. We are connected. And then what happens is force is, uh, fruit is not forced, it's yielded. Right? So some of you are like, oh, I just want to have joy in this season. <laughs> Don't work like that. Joy comes naturally in this season. Peace comes naturally in this season. Why? Because you're connected. Not because you tried. Not because you're disciplined, but because you're dependent. And some of you think the answer is to be more disciplined. God's saying the answer is to be more dependent. Are you depending on him? Are you doing it on your own? Now, let me say this. Jesus says says this in in John 15. He talks about pruning. (laughs) That's no fun. What was he doing at the, at the temple? He was pruning. He was cleansing the temple. That's what pruning means. Pruning means to cleanse. And some of you think that when the Lord is trimming back on your life, you think that he's mad at you. 
But it's actually, listen, his correction, his cleansing, his pruning is not his rejection. It's his affirmation. Whom the Lord loves, he chastises. Why? Because he's saying, I want you to bear more fruit. And just like a tree that's producing fruit, if you want it to be more fruitful, you trim it back. And some of you, you need to trim some things back in your life. You need to allow the Lord, when he convicts you, he's saying, I want you to have more fruit. He's not going, I don't want you to have more fun. He's going, I want you to have more fruit, which is way more valuable because fun is gone as soon as it's done. Then all you have is a memory. But fruit remains. And this is what he's calling you to. He's hungry for fruit. So if you want to be fruitful, you got to stay connected. Y'all okay? So he tells this is to have faith in God, in God. It's rooted in God. And the second thing he tells us to do is say to the mountain. I'm trying to help you here. I know this is broad. Listen, say to the mountain. Now, Jesus just spoke to a mountain, didn't he? In the temple. Remember? Get out of here. I want you to leave. He spoke to the mountain, and what happened? The mountain moved, right? And so if you're going to say to the mountain, the first thing you have to do is you've got to identify mountains. Identify the mountains. Jesus identified the mountains, right? Money changers, thieves, he identified the mountains. What are your mountains? What are your distractions? What are the things that are distracting you from your purpose? What is the hindrance in your life? What is the hindrance in your life? See, the mountain in the temple was the activity that replaced prayer. So we think, we think hindrances, we think mountains, we think distractions. You know what we automatically think is we start thinking of the people that don't make us feel good. <laughs> is it not true? We think of the circumstance. We say, oh, that's speak to the circumstance. You know what I've found is most of the mountains are in me. Most of the mountains are in this temple. Most of the messed up mindsets are in here. It's not out there. Most of the time, the mountain isn't out exterior. It's interior. Most of the time, the mountain is in me. And so we focus on hindered prayer. What do I need to do to get my prayers hindered? I would, I would suggest you ask this question. What is hindering you from prayer? I mean, we can spend like three hours a day on Netflix and three minutes in prayer is too much. What's hindering you? Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe you need to speak to that mountain. (laughs) Netflix? Unsubscribe. You just spoke to a mountain. I know you want to make this all spiritual about some, you know, big demon that lives over a city. Listen, you can't even pray 10 minutes a day and you... And you're worried about the demons over the city? Like, how about you just start functioning in the power, get connected to the Lord, and then when you show up, the demons got to go. Then you don't have to spend 14 hours fasting and praying and, you know, saying all the right words to get them to leave. You just show up and you're powered. Why? Because it's flowing through you. It's just a fruit from your life. Maybe the greatest hindrance of prayers are the prayers that are not prayed. May you have thought, I've been praying for this for a long time. Did you know that I've made that statement before in my life? I've been praying for this for a long time, and I really haven't been praying for it for a long time. I've been thinking I need to pray about this for a long time. But whenever I look back over my life, I'm going, wow, I really didn't pray about it that much. I just kind of worried about it. And we classify worry as prayer. That's not prayer. What's in me? What's in me? What is fruitless? What is the fruitless mountain inside of me that needs to be rebuked? 
mindsets, ideologies, attitudes. Come on, all of it. I don't like it when I, when, I, when, I, when I feel that way, whenever I respond that way, and I look at it, and I go, ah, oh, why do I do that? Ask the Lord why, and then speak to it. Identify the mountain. Identify the mountain. And then it, Jesus identifies some mountains right there, doesn't he? He talks about doubt or unbelief, and he also talks about unforgiveness. Oh, these things will hinder your prayers. Did you know that? Doubt will hinder your prayer. Well, I don't know the, if, if, if the Lord will, if, if you will, Lord. I, I don't really know if you can hear me. Listen, don't expect any fruit to come from that prayer. I'm, I'm proud of you for praying. Great. Good job. But it's not going to get you anywhere. Have faith in God. And the other thing is unforgiveness. So you, we get before God and we go, Lord, you saw how mean they were to me. Right? You, you've been praying about that. You've been praying about that person, come on, for 20 years. What is it? It's unforgiveness. And Jesus makes this, this statement in, in, in Matthew 18. He's like, listen, he's like, if you're praying, if you come into the temple and you come to offer God something and you have an issue with your brother, an unresolved issue, he says, leave your gift at the altar and go, go reconcile and then come back. Other words, God doesn't hear you if you're carrying in unforgiveness. And I know that you like to think, well, God, God, yes, he does. He's God. He's sovereign. God said that about prayer. So is he wrong? Is, it, is what he says true or is it false? I believe what he says is true. If you want to talk to me, then you need to deal with the bitterness that's in your heart because I'm not going to talk to you as long as you carry that around. I know it's hard, beloved. So our, our prayer doesn't need to be, Lord, get that person for uh, he's, he's not going to get them. <laughs> that person's getting you in that moment. What you need to say is, Lord, I just pray for this person right now. I pray that you bless them. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. What do I need to do to release them from this place? What do I need to do? What, what can I do, Lord, to help them get right with Jesus? I'm telling you, that unforgiveness will keep you right out. Pastor, are you saying? No, Jesus is saying. <laughs> God is saying. Because you'll have people be like, well, I, I don't agree with that. Well, you can take it up with Jesus. He's the one that said it. I'm just repeating it. I don't always, listen, I don't always like the things he says either. Let's just be real. I mean, I'm kind of like, oh, Lord, really? <laughs> no. Am I the only one? Okay. I don't get to ignore it. And then he says this. Say to this mountain. So we identify the mountain and we say to the mountain. So again, we identify the mountains. What are they? Then he identifies the mountains. And then what do we do? We speak to them. So we don't just identify, oh, there's the mountain. We say to the mountain. See, we don't just think prayers. Some of you, your prayer life looks like this. He says, say, verbalize. Some of you, your faith will be built in the place of prayer. You'll pray longer. You'll pray more. You'll pray more consistently, more fruitful if you say your prayers. Don't just think your prayers. Because if you're thinking your prayers, you're also thinking about the other 14 things. But what I've noticed is whenever I start saying my prayers, my mind follows. Right? <laughs> 
I'm not like, hey, hey Lord, just kind of thinking about, oh, remember today when, am I the only one? Like, don't th- say your prayers. Don't just think them, you know. Hulk Hogan, eat your vitamins and say your prayers. I think that's what he said in the 80s. I don't know. It was somebody. We won't talk about Hulk Hogan church anymore. Okay. Oh, brother, eat your vitamins. I think I was a macho man. Okay. So don't just think prayers. Say them. Listen, and also this. We don't ask mountains to move. We tell them to move. And some of you have been asking, Lord, you've been asking the Lord. You have, any, you have faith in God, but you speak to the mountain. You're not even speaking to the Lord. You're saying to the mountain. That's part of prayer. You're saying, mountain, move. Not, if you would please kindly get out of my way. No, you speak to it. And and, and some have associated prayer with whining. So we get before God and we whine. Oh, God, it's just so hard. Listen, speak to the mountain. Prayer is not whining. Speak to those things that have got into your temple and robbed you of your purpose. Speak to those things. What is in your temple that you need to speak to? What has replaced prayer? What has replaced communion with God? What do you need to throw out? Because we've all got something that needs to be thrown out. What needs to be thrown out of your temple? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, by the way. What needs to be thrown out? What isn't holy? Holy Spirit. The temple of the Holy Spirit. What isn't holy that needs to be thrown out? What needs to be pruned? What are you carrying around? Do you have unforgiveness? Do you have hardness of heart? Throw it out. Speak to it. Get out of here. I mean, you just need to get so ticked off, right? You're not ticked off at the event. You're, you're, you're ticked off because that is still in you. Come on. Would you just, would you get, would you get angry enough? I'm trying to use the proper word, church words. Would you just get mad enough about the unholiness in your life? About the thing that's not so, will you get mad about that and say, get out, get out of my life. You're not welcome here, bitterness. Coldness of heart, you're not welcome here anymore. Get out. Get out of my heart. Get out of my temple. Get out of my life. I'm I'm identifying you and I'm commanding you to leave. Get out. Don't leave right now. Get. Okay. Y'all okay today? All right, we're done. Listen, the third is this. Believe and don't doubt. Believe and don't doubt. You're not putting your faith in you. You're putting it in God.